Good evening. Welcome to our Good Friday service. Let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the chance that we can gather in our homes and we could spend a few minutes reflecting on you and your son and the significance of a night like tonight. And so, God, we pray that whatever we are experiencing, whatever we're facing, whatever, whatever is on our minds, God, that for the next few moments, that we could put all of that aside and that we could reflect on the cross, on the significance of what your son has done on our behalf there at Calvary. So God, help us as we hear from your word, as we partake in communion, as we worship, may we be convicted and encouraged and challenged as we focus on you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome. Um, We're glad that you could join us. Uh, We're going to start with some teaching, and then we'll have a time of communion, and then we'll be closing our night tonight with some worship. Maybe you remember six weeks ago, I started a series called The Final Week, and then COVID-19 happened, and the whole series got upended, but the the hope for the series was that we could slow down and look at Jesus' final week, taking every Sunday for the last six Sundays and looking at one of Jesus' last days on earth. And so I think what, what we did six weeks ago is that we started with Palm Sunday and then everything changed. But what I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to come back to what Friday would have been like for Jesus. And the hope is, the hope with this series was, is that we could give you a timeline of this last week. But more than just giving you a timeline, the hope was that by by giving you times and giving you dates and looking at the story chronologically, the hope has been that you would be able to really understand that you would able to would be able to see the story as it really is to understand it to see it in a real way and so what we'll do tonight is we'll focus on Jesus's Friday and as i looked at Jesus's Friday as i looked through the gospels for what good friday would have been like for Jesus i quickly realized that Jesus would not have slept much on good friday Jesus didn't get much sleep. There was too much happening. He was being dragged around. He was being bound and beaten all day long. It was a day of darkness. Spiritual darkness, yes, but physical darkness as well. So much of the day of the story of Jesus on Friday happened at night. It was a day of Deep sadness for Jesus, betrayal and loneliness and pain. It was an awful day, but yet at the same time, it was a wonderful day. Somehow, both of these things can both be true. And for us tonight, as we trace Jesus's Friday, I simply want to look at Jesus's six legal proceedings that he would have faced that day. 
I want to look at the six trials that Jesus would have walked through, the six interrogations that Jesus would have been a part of. And I want to walk through the timeline of these trials. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Before it was lunchtime on Friday, Jesus had sat through six legal proceedings. Jesus had gone through six beatings because of these legal trials that he was a part of. I mean, how can one man endure so much in a day? And it wasn't even noon yet. But the hope tonight is that we can walk through these different interrogations, these proceedings, and these trials that we can understand a little bit better the significance of what Jesus endured on our behalf. So let's start in John 18. We'll put some of our passages on the screen, but we're going to walk through each of the six. We're going to be brief with all of them, but hopefully we can get a a clearer picture of what this Friday would have been like. John 18, 12 through 14 says this. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. By this time on Friday, it would have been early morning, pitch black, dark. The middle of the night. Sometime after midnight, most think it's between 2 and 3 a.m. that Jesus is bound by the soldiers, by the officers, and he is taken to Annas. But this is interesting. If you saw in the passage that we just read, the question that I have as as I was thinking about this passage is, why did they do this? Why would they take Jesus bound to the former high priest? What significance does Annas have that he would be the one that would be the first to see Jesus? And why would they do this in the middle of the night? Why wouldn't they have waited till the morning? Well, we don't know exactly the answers to these questions. But we do know that Annas, even though he was the former high priest, he wasn't the actual reigning high priest. He still had power. He was still called the high priest. We know his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who we'll see in a few minutes, was the current high priest. But Annas still had power. He still looked upon as the actual high priest. But why would they go to him in the middle of the night? Wouldn't the officers have thought this might not be a good idea to wake him up, to show him Jesus bound? Well, if, if Annas would have been surprised, maybe that would be a bad idea. But I think Annas knew exactly what was happening. In fact, I think Annas was the mastermind behind this whole plot to get Jesus arrested. I mean, it was Jesus who had come into the temple and flipped the tables And so Anne is not just some innocent bystander who's seeing all this happen passively. He was the one that was masterminding this whole plot. And so you see in this interchange, it's only this this part, this legal proceeding. It's not a trial, okay? It's only recorded in John 18. 
But you see pretty quickly that Annas is trying to gather evidence. We don't know the question that he asks Jesus in John 18. But Jesus' response is clearly, I'm not going to answer your question. I've been public with my teaching all along, and I'm not going to share anything else at this point. But clearly, Annas is trying to gather evidence so that they can bring a case to Rome so that Jesus could be killed. Because he knows that we, as the Jewish leadership, cannot try Jesus for murder. We cannot try Jesus and kill him. That is a decision that is left for Rome. And so what you start to see to see happening in these first couple of proceedings and gatherings of Annas and some of the others is that they are trying to get the evidence to take Jesus to Pilate. But when Jesus doesn't give him the evidence he wants, when Jesus isn't giving him the answers, he decides it's best that he goes and he sees Caiaphas. And he says, the text says, he binds Jesus up. He wraps him up. He ties him up like he is a violent threat and he sends him to Caiaphas. Probably in the next couple of hours in the middle of the night, 3 to 4 a.m. Again, can you imagine why would they be waking up Caiaphas in the middle of the night to deal with Jesus at this time? Well, clearly, Caiaphas is also a part of this. He is the one that is orchestrating this event with his father-in-law. He knows that this is coming. And so he brings Jesus in and he does the same thing that Annas was trying to do. He begins to ask Jesus questions. He tries to trap Jesus. He tries to get evidence that they can bring to Rome and to Pilate so that they could have Jesus killed. Look at Matthew 26, 59 through 62. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Okay, clearly they are biased against Jesus. They want to trap him so that they can bring him to Rome to kill him. Now, they know, okay, as the Jewish leadership, that if they were to take this case to Rome and say, Rome, here is Jesus... He is a blasphemer. They know that that's not going to do it. Rome has no care that Jesus is a blasphemer. And so they're bringing these false witnesses in. They're desperately searching for evidence that they could present to Rome so that he could be killed under the Roman punishment. And so that's why they're focused. Well, one man says he's... Jesus said, I'm able to destroy the temple. Rome would care about the temple. Rome would care about Jesus destroying the temple and the system that's been set up. And so you've got these false witnesses coming together. But again, just picture this. It's the middle of the night. The Jewish leadership has all come together. It's the scribes and the elders, the chief priests and the whole council. I mean, they can't stand Jesus. 
I mean, they are willing to conspire together, to bring these witnesses together in the middle of the night so they can, as quickly as possible, bring Jesus to Rome so that he could be killed. And just the conversation continues in Matthew 26. I mean, this scene is unbelievable to picture. Look at verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and he said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. I mean, what a scene. Caiaphas is exhausted and exasperated at Jesus's silence. He's not answering the questions. He's being vague. And you can picture Caiaphas, middle of the night, exhausted, screaming at Jesus. Tell us, are you the son of God? Okay, this was a question of, of royalty, of deity. He's saying, are you the king? Are you the God that we worship? Admit to it. And Jesus, in, in a strong response back to him, it's a response that you don't see often from Jesus. I mean, Jesus doesn't back down at all. Strongly saying, I am not only the son of God, like you've said. I am the son of man. Okay, this would have been prophesied from Daniel 7. And the picture, the immediate picture of the high priest and the rulers and the scribes and the Sadducees would have been, would have been God himself, the judge, the Lord, the sovereign God over all. And Jesus says, I am him. And I'm coming back as him, as the judge, as the righteous one. And I'm coming on clouds and I'm coming in judgment. I think we've shared this before, but it's as if he's saying, you think you have me on trial tonight. I will come back and you will be in trial. You will be under my judgment. And Caiaphas' response His response is, he is completely offended and he is disgusted. And he rips off his robes. They cover his eyes. They cover Jesus' eyes. Because they feel like at this point, their time of evidence gathering is complete. And so they cover his eyes. They mock Jesus. They spit in his face. They strike him in the face. They slap him in the face. They bind him up and they prepare to take him to Rome. Now, 6 a.m. the next morning, so a few hours would have probably passed. You see, this same group of Jewish leaders meet before they take Jesus to Rome. Mark 15.1 tells us just briefly what they're doing. It says they have a consultation. It's like, let's go get a couple hours of sleep. It's 6 a.m. Let's come back together and let's rehash what we're going to say to Pilate. Let's have one final vote with the Jewish leaders. 
What's our verdict? What's our case? And let's bring Jesus to Rome. And that's what they do it early in the morning on Friday. Once they've solidified their case, once they've had this consultation with the Jewish leadership, they bring Jesus to Pilate. And they make their case to Pilate. And it's almost astounding to read the case that they make compared to the evidence they had just gathered in the middle of the night. Look at Luke 23, 2. We have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying he himself is Christ, a king. They are painting a picture that they think Pilate wants to hear. They are making up a case that they think under Roman law will get Jesus killed, but it's not at all what they had just discussed in the middle of the night. This isn't religious undertones that they give to Pilate. It's completely political. This man, Jesus, is seducing us away from allegiance to Rome. This man is telling us to not pay tribute to Caesar, which is, it's odd because that's the opposite of what Jesus did in his public ministry. Jesus is saying he is a king and he is rival to Caesar. Jesus is listening to these babbling Jewish leaders. And you could picture Pilate just kind of hearing all this rambling. And he shuts the door and he brings Jesus inside. And he says to Jesus in verses 37 through 38 of John 18, he says to him, are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. I mean, it's really interesting, Pilate's relationship with Jesus. I mean, Jesus tells him, I'm not a threat to Rome. I am a king, but I am not a king of this world. I am king of the heavens. And I've not come to destroy Rome. And Pilate's listening to him. And you could tell Pilate is intrigued by what he's hearing. He's fascinated by what he's hearing. What is truth? That's his question. Jesus sitting there saying, I am the truth. I'm the way, I'm the life. Like It is so ironic that that's the question that Pilate asks. But at the end of the day for Pilate, he looks at Jesus, he's listened to the accusations, and he sees right through them. This man is not a threat. This man is innocent. And as he proclaims that to the Jewish leadership, 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., the leaders, the Jewish leaders don't like it. And so again, as they are scrambling to figure something out, they, they pull the card where Jesus is from Galilee. Why won't we have Jesus be questioned by Herod? And Pilate, not really wanting to get into the mess of this anyway, says, you know what? Let's let Herod deal with this. If Jesus is from Galilee, and he is, let's let Herod make the final call. Because Pilate doesn't want to upset the Jewish leaders. 
So he ships Jesus. He has Jesus bound. He has Jesus shipped to Herod. And in Luke 23, 8 through 12, probably another couple hours later, early in the morning, Jesus is questioned by Herod. Now this scene is interesting in that Herod has no interest in finding the truth behind these accusations. None. Instead, all Herod wants to see is Jesus, this man that he has heard about doing miracles. He wants to see Jesus do something awesome. He wants Jesus to do a trick. He wants Jesus to do a miracle. And Jesus isn't playing into his games. Jesus isn't interested in doing his tricks for Herod. And Herod starts to pick up on this. And so he continues by mocking him. He dresses Jesus up mocks him with his words, with insults. But eventually he realizes, Jesus isn't doing what I want him to do. I'm sending him back to Pilate. He sends him back to Pilate. But it's interesting, when he sends him back to Pilate, he says, this, I'm mad at this guy. I'm upset that this didn't go the way I wanted it to. But by the way, this man's innocent. Jesus hasn't done the things that they, they are accusing him of doing. And so probably a few hours later, for the final, the sixth of the, of the legal proceedings that Jesus has been in, in just half a day, we see Jesus standing in front of Pilate once more. Listen to, well, I don't think these are going to be on the screen, but here's kind of the verdict in, in Herod's mind that he's thinking. Luke 23, 15 says, look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I mean, Pilate is looking at the situation again, and he's saying, this is, these dots are not connecting. Herod has said the same thing. John 18, 38 says it like this. Herod, or Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. I will punish him and release him. It almost feels like this story is over. I mean, the trials have been done the, the opinions have been weighed, and Pilate is saying, this, this man certainly doesn't deserve death. I will, we will give him the beatings that are due him, and we will release him. But the Jewish leaders are not having it. Out of nowhere, they bring up a new accusation, not one that they have already mentioned, but this is the one that finally gets to Pilate. Look at what they say. John 19, 12. I don't know if that's, that's probably not on the screen. From then on, Pilate sought to, well, yeah, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. So at this point, Pilate says, this man is not guilty. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, You are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is what they say. Jesus is committing treason. Jesus is acting like a king and he is opposing Caesar. And the question that they ask Pilate put him in the worst position possible. They say, what does it make you if you let someone who is committing treason go? What does that make you, Pilate? Does that make you sympathetic to this? 
And Pilate, you could, you could just picture, I mean, the wheels are spinning. If Jesus is committing treason and I'm letting Jesus go, what does that make me? What would Caesar say? And Pilate was close. It, it, again, I'm, I'm so fascinated by Pilate. I mean, his wife had dreams that, that told, and he told, she told Pilate, don't mess with Jesus. He is righteous. I mean, he is close to letting Jesus go for seeing it as it, as it truly is. Asking the right questions. Yet, clearly at the end of this scene, his fear for Caesar outweighs his fear and his respect of Jesus. And so he gives him his final sentencing. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read the sentencing from all four of the Gospels. Not many times in all four Gospels do you get the same scene. Now, some, there are some scenes, but when you get a scene in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is saying something that is weighty. So I want to read these sentences from the four, the sentencing from the four Gospels. Matthew 27, 24 through 26. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released them for Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Mark 15, and a pilot again said to them, then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Luke 23. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. John 19 now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour and he said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to, him, said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. All of this, I mean, it's 
Not even lunchtime for Jesus. This Friday for Jesus of darkness in the middle of the night, being bound like a violent criminal from proceeding to proceeding to trial to interrogation to trial to another trial. Jesus endured all of this for you. The injustice, the cruelty, the pain, the beatings, the grief, the humiliation, the accusations, the despising, the rejection, the sorrow, all of this Jesus endured for you, for me. His love compelled him to do this for us. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ suffered even though he was righteous. He went through all of these corrupt legal trials, all the beatings, the crucifixion, For the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. As we prepare our hearts for communion, what we want to do now is just spend a few minutes before we take the elements praying, remembering, repenting, thanking Christ for what he endured on Friday for you. Let's spend a few minutes praying. have your cracker or your bread, you have your juice or your water or whatever you were able to find. And now we're going to partake in the elements. The bread that we're about to partake is a symbol of the human body of Jesus Christ. He was born. He lived without sin. He was crucified. 
for our sin, that we might die to sin, to live in his righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. The cup. Jesus said, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink. Drink.